are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Trips for Trade. For those that missed episode 92 of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast, Trips for Trade is a website for swapping trips into four categories of outdoors, adventure, vacation, and sports. And the way it works is you take someone on a trip with you, such as, say, a traditional bow hunt, and in exchange, you would go on a trip with them for something such as maybe an offshore fishing trip. Now, possible swaps include hunting, fishing, beach condos, mountain cabins, sports, skiing, etc. They currently have trips in 46 states and in nine countries. There's no transaction fee, just a small membership fee to be a part of the trusted community. So just head over to tripsfortrade.com, that's T-R-I-P-S, the number four, T-R-A-D-E.com, to view the trips and make sure you use the promo code TRADITIONAL20 to save 20% on the membership fee. Also, if you end up swapping a traditional bow hunt through Trips for Trade, then let us know about it and we would love to have you on the show to talk about your experience. Now on to this week's episode. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Steve Angel. I'm running solo this week. Uh, my buddy Nick is uh, squared away somewhere doing something, and uh, we talked about the, the gentleman that's on the other end of the line, and honestly, Nick doesn't... Uh, Nick, being a, a, a young fella, hasn't, hasn't heard of this gentleman, and he said, you know what, I'd just be in the way, so he wanted me to run this one solo. So here we are, and I'll be honest, I'm, I've been excited about getting this thing lined up for uh, actually months now. Uh, on the other end, I have Mr. Jim Neighbors of Wild and True. I don't know how many people listening remember you, Jim, but I sure do. How are you, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I kind of I didn't disappear from the scene, but kind of changed directions a couple of different times, and it was amazing uh, when the video industry changed it just changed to television so fast that um there was a few of us that kind of got left in the dust for a minute or two well that's not necessarily a bad thing and i i say that being and i don't know that you and i have talked about this jim so i hope you don't i hope you don't just jerk your headset off and stomp off mad but uh i know you from the 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 deer hunting videos and we're definitely going to talk about that a little bit but i know a lot of people know you from your turkey hunting videos and i'm sorry to tell you man the, those those feathered creatures just they they don't get me fired up i'm not a i'm not a big turkey hunter i usually when i go in the woods to turkey hunt i'm i turkey hunt for about 15 20 minutes and then i'm scouting for deer or hunting pigs so uh but i do know a lot of people uh have 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 seen and and watched your hunt, your turkey hunting videos in the past well it, the deer it, it, basically we just hunted what was in season you know and as um as we kind of came along um it was just it becomes a, a certain time in the year that you know that that's what you do you know um you know, be it deer season or turkey season or fishing or whatever, you know, it, it's not really that you set out to do it that way. It's just, that's just the time of the year it is. And you start messing around and getting all your gear tuned in and everything like that and all. So, um, 
I, I just like it all. I just like to go hunting. It really, I believe I would hunt even if I just, I don't know. I, I did hunt with a camera for a long time, essentially. And to me, you know, sometimes the the actual harvest is just anticlimactic. I mean, it, I just like to be there. It's not necessarily the biggest or who pulls the trigger or, or anything like that like that I mean if I need a doe to eat then I'm I would bet against the doe you know when it comes down to it because I've been doing it a long time and there's no experts to me in the brand everybody always talks to me and everything and they say well this and that and other I've just had experiences and been exposed more in my lifetime than a lot of people will ever have you know sure so. sure and it's funny that you it, it it's funny that you say that jim because that's that's one of the that's one of the reasons that that i really enjoyed watching your videos and and we got to go back a few years i'll i'll ask you some years here in a minute because i honestly i honestly don't remember but it wasn't it, you just seem to generally be enjoying yourselves it, it wasn't um obviously you know you had to pay the bills to 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 do the video stuff and i get that um but it was just down to earth and we were we were chatting about this before I, we press record and I, I i just want to jump right into that but one of the first videos uh i ever saw of yours and you clarified that I, my memory was better than i was i'd actually started second guessing myself but it was a video uh powder and ball whitetails and the and I don't remember if it was at the very beginning or at somewhere during this video, but the the camera the camera pans in on this this pickup. I don't remember what it was, but it definitely was not one of these you know forty thousand uh, dollar four by four rigs that a lot of the the celebrity <laughs> the celebrity hunters show up with. It was a it was an old pickup with an old camper shell on the back, and the truck starts rumbling around, and then Jim comes crawling out of the back, and and you know look, you could just tell you had slept in that truck all night to get out and hunt that that particular area of woods that you were hunting in the morning and i was just as soon as i saw that i was like this is my kind of hunter right here in 19 i think it was uh this is not about that particular trip but this is another it was i i'm trying to say it would have been around 1989 to 1990 um I left out of the lower part of the state of Alabama and drove that truck to Sealy Lake, Montana, and actually spent three weeks uh, during the whitetail rut sleeping in that truck. And what was that truck, Jim? Because I don't. It remember. was a uh, Nissan King Cab. Back when it first came out with the little King Cab thing, it wasn't a four door. It was just a Nissan King right, Cab. Right had room enough to pile all your stuff back in the back and then um i was really comfortable in the back end of it. I, I built me almost like a a shelf and then i could store stuff on it and then i just sleep on top of it and um, made me a curtain or two so i could shut everything out and 
that was when people weren't so terrified to sleep in rest areas and stuff and by the time I left that on that Montana trip I ended up spending about the last week um, with a a fire ranger that was a good friend of mine that I had met out there on on another time and everything but by the time I left I was sleeping in the back of that truck and it was not thawing out all day long in other words the ice from the condensation from me had formed a kind of an ice cave back there and it was cold enough it just stayed cold all day you didn't have to worry about nothing getting wet it was all ice it was uh I don't I, I gave twelve thousand five hundred dollars for that truck brand new and drove it I used to remember the mileage on it but I drove it over right at a half million miles I know and I sold it for fifty two hundred dollars when I sold it so wow it definitely it, I definitely got my money's worth at it never had a lick of trouble with the running gear four-wheel drive nothing like that did replace the engine in it and all but uh no it, it it gets to a point you might as well sleep there because you're gonna be there in 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 just a little while in other words by the time you get out of the woods get back to the truck drive back to some kind of camp you know and do the reverse the next morning it's just a lot of times easier just to sleep in the back of the truck <laughs> well and it like and, i uh, said that just that that's just a, a scene that has stuck with me and and you mentioned the 90s i mean it's been many years ago and it's it always just stuck with me that you know you know here's a guy doing what he enjoys and the people that you you know had around you appeared like they were doing what they enjoyed and you weren't uh you know, you were you were given advice, but it was just plain down to earth common sense. Um, you know, here's here's why I'm doing what I'm doing, and uh, you know, you were you were hunting. I think that was a. I don't remember if it was a the brand. I know you were hunting with just like a, a hawking muzzleloader, um, <laughs> just the just the basic stuff. Anyway, it that that video's always always stuck out to me, and and I don't remember at what point. I kind of i i got i got um i basically just got to the point where i i didn't care much for watching hunting videos at all because oh, yeah. of the way the industry went and so i stopped watching all videos um but there was just some great content and and i know a lot of people a lot of people know and remember you and and when i saw you show up on facebook i was just tickled to death so well the thing about it is is like um you know, like you said, when we were chatting a while ago, you mentioned the traditional archery. If I believe if I had been exposed to a group of men that um, that that was their their forte or their thing, then you know I would have picked up on it sooner than I have. I, you know, I've been playing around a lot with it here lately in the past couple of three years and uh, still don't feel comfortable the way I should and everything like that but you know when we came along all of us the, the group that 
help me with the videos and everything like that. We were going hunting anyway. And then all of a sudden it was a novelty to carry a camera. And then we started trying to fine tune from there. And at the same time, we were all learning how to bow hunt because the people that were bow hunting, they were doing so, and they were doing so really effectively, but they weren't telling many other people how to do it. And unless you had one of them for uh, a mentor or, or something, there's lots of things that that you just had to learn by yourself. I mean, there, there was just nobody to teach you. Right. And uh, I remember the, the first bow that I got um there used to be a a big big huge mail order house had everything on the east coast it had a big green catalog is all i remember about it and black and white catalog and you could get anything and you know i did what i usually did when i decided to try something new i sat down and tried to do what researcher could and got what i could get and as long as i could get the arrow from point A to point B, uh, I thought I was doing pretty good. And over the years, as it became, you know, more and more specialized, for lack of a better term, I think that a lot of it gets lost and all. And me and there was a man that is a good friend of mine, Hank Hearn, that used to be on Willow Point Island down there and me and Hank were sitting in the tree. That's one good thing about video and just for everybody that don't understand. Um, that's one good thing is you always, me, I got somebody to talk to and so I've actually had some hunters say, do you ever be quiet? <laughs> and I'm like, they ain't paying no attention to it. And they'll say, well, yeah, they can hear you. Now, I will go back and say that there is a certain caliber of buck you definitely, 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 definitely have to exercise noise discipline with. The same with elk, you know. Uh, you know, elk don't ask any questions because they're not exposed to it. But, you know, a lot of times for most general uses a deer ain't gonna hear you if you sit up there and whisper and uh, so we would whisper for hours and but me and Hank we were sitting in the tree to get back to the point of the thing and he was gonna shoot a doe that afternoon and these does got around us and you know I was running the camera and I was like well what about this one and he just kind of shook his head and then he messed around and he passed on this one, and then he passed on this one. Knowing Hank the way I know him now, Hank was my age at the time that I was probably young and gung-ho sitting in the tree with him. And Hank probably just didn't want to fool with a deer that evening, if you want to know yeah, the truth. Right. And all. But I'll never forget, and it's always stuck with me. I said, why didn't you shoot one when they all left? And he's, he pointed down at the ground. And he said, when I shoot one, I'm going to shoot him right there, and I'm going to put him in the truck 98% <laughs> of the time. And that's always hung with me. It, it just really, 
and even in the turkey woods uh, and even with big big whitetails you know they show up and you've hunted so hard to see this animal and all of a sudden he disappears and that's the most that's that's the craziest thing to me is how mature whitetail bucks get to be their size and they just live in somebody's backyard i i just always remember always being thankful i was you know i was kind of always in awe of every mature deer that i walked up to and touched. i was like you know where did you come from and all that but uh, every time i've ever been involved like videotaping or even shooting because a lot of times the camera works a different way in other words you know you may have a shot that you perfectly know you need to take but the camera can't see it right and right. so you're forced to wait and so it's kind of a, a a give and take thing but the point being is that in most cases the best action is yet to come in other words, a deer that that you could have shot at 15 yards all of a sudden ends up smelling the ladder at two. You know, it's it's it, it's funny that you it's funny that you go there, Jim, because a couple things uh, I'll touch on that you said there. One, the the talking I've actually got on video. I've and, and again, like you said, not mature, but and it depends on where you're hunting too. I think some of the public land around here, yeah, any deer on the on the on the area will run if they hear a whisper. I mean, they're they're just so pressured. But I've had I've had deer on private property that I've I've talked to and they've sat there and looked at me and bobbed their head at me and they I know they can hear me and they'll even walk towards me trying to figure out what is this crazy thing making that noise. The other thing that you were mentioning, um, and what was your what was your good friend's name again, Hank? Hank Hearns. Uh, that that it's funny that you say what you were saying about he was wait. He, I'm a wait till he's right there. That that's a strong piece of advice towards your 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 desire for a traditional journey. Is that's that's what I tell everybody that you know when they're saying, well, I just don't feel comfortable or confident. I, if you can keep an arrow in a in an eight inch circle at five yards, go hunting. Just don't shoot if it's over five yards it's a it's a discipline but it's the same thing and and i do and i think it's the same thing you're saying it's just as as you get older and it becomes more about the the challenge of getting close and knowing it's a as close to a sure thing as it can be that drives a lot of us traditional guys let me go on and tell you i am not the world's best bow hunter and you mentioned about the turkeys and everything like that they get me excited you know as as we always say it we go into short rows when one of them shows up <laughs> and all and i really 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 have to focus on making sure I, that i've got my cheek down on the stock and i'm looking straight down the gun barrel and that i'm aiming and all that and that i promise you there ain't nobody there's very few people ever look down the bead as as many of them as i have <laughs> I, i'll i'll take that bet any day and there's a lot of people to back that up now but and some of them were involved in that video group there was a group of very 
proficient hunters that helped me. But the same is with me, like, the same as me, even with, like, standard archery equipment, I am not a very good shooter. I'm just not. I can practice and practice and do this and do that, but I don't, I, I generally never have practice enough because I, I don't mind saying it. We had to pay for our stuff, you know, and if you practice a whole lot, I've seen people get out there practicing and they'd run enough arrows for me to shoot all season. Plus the fact that I get excited. I just get excited. It's just, that's just the way it is. I mean, I don't, I, I'm not going to apologize for it. I know how to control it. And I, I know, once again, I've been around some of the biggest bugs that, that walk the face of this planet between Kansas and Canada and everywhere like that. But I'll get just as excited over a uh, a little basket rag A point if he so becomes a quarry. And so I limit myself even for like shooting standard archery equipment. I reckon that's what you would call it. Um, I try to stay at 25 yards and under. And uh, I'd heap rather shoot at 15 or 20. But a, a lot of that does come to the other cheater mechanism we've had in the past is that um, one second of video is basically 30 still pictures. So there's 30 frames in one second. And you can actually look at each one of those frames. And it is pretty amazing. Um, it's pretty amazing to see what your eye thinks it saw versus what actually happens. You know, the deer liable to get just a half step on you or... Um, one of the ones that, I mean, we found the deer and, and everything, but a deer had bedded down in front of us and stayed there. And we sat there for about an hour and a half. We had a real good wind that evening. We was right on the edge of a pine thicket. And when the deer stood up, it stretched. And when it stretched, the man came to full draw on him. And then the deer arched back to, like, scratch his rump. And when he did, he shoved, you don't realize it looking at it, but it shoved all his diaphragm and his lungs and everything to the outside. Basically, instead of double lunging the deer, which is what you would have sworn looking at it, um, you ended up with one lung, one lung and some other things it just took some finding and all but it's amazing what goes on and i think video really helps that come to life even with with rifles and muzzle loaders and so you know the traditional archery aspect when you slow the arrow speed down you're kind of even adding more to that factor if that makes any sense no it doesn't i you know we 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 all live in it. it it again it's funny you kind of went down that path i actually had a facebook memory show up on my facebook feed this morning uh 
a hog that I shot a couple of years ago and I had I had a camera running and I shot and I saw a perfect shot and we had we it was just not the blood trail that I expected it kept going and going and going and uh, decided to wait and pick the, the trail up later got back into camp was going through the video and everybody that watched that video said that hogs down why is you know you should have already found it and it took getting back home and breaking that camera down uh, that video down in software where I could look at it frame by frame and what actually happened if you look at it in real in real speed it looks like it's just perfect straight up the front leg just right where it needs to be and you look at the video footage and what you can see is the arrow was actually a little bit back which you can't be a little bit back on a pig and when the arrow passed through it actually went into a the root of a water oak and lodged and as the pig moved forward it made the arrow bend so that the fletching looked like it was right in the right where it needed to be right like i said right up that front leg when in actuality it was a few inches back um is it but that you're right that the video can tell you a lot um that you just can't see with your naked eye even at traditional uh, archery speeds i think I think I'm sh- the bow that I'm shooting somewhere around 160 feet per second. It's nowhere near what a you know a, a modern compound is, and it still will fool your eyes. Yeah, it it's it's amazing, and I really have always been interested in the traditional aspect of it. I mean, I I I'm gonna mispronounce somebody's name invariably in this, but you know when i came along into the whitetail hunting industry there was no whitetail hunting industry same here the first the first tree stands you know were baker tree stands oh those things were horrible <laughs> yeah and then when i started when i started doing the shows well they had a they, they let me let me take this one step further back i was a senior in high school and um, uh, being in southern Alabama, I ended up going to a private school. So we were granted a lot of leeway with a lot of different things. And we had a headmaster. Not We didn't call him a principal. We called him the headmaster. And so they had um, the very first whitetail deer show they had ever had, they had in Atlanta, Georgia. And I had met Dick Idle uh, prior to that as he had done some kind of seminar or something. And he told me, basically he said, you know, if you'll show up at the show and help us get in and out of there, I'll get you in and this and that and other. And so I've lived by myself since I was 15. I've been basically on my own since I was 15. And so I decided I wanted to go to this whitetail deer show. It was like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday was the show length. And so I was going to leave and be up there. I had to be up there to help them set up. And so I was going to be there, you know, Thursday morning. It was only like three hours from the house, but... Anyway, I had to get a motel and do all that. And so a good friend of mine from high school, he wanted to go too. 
so we were trying to get cleared to get off school to go and we went back in the headmaster's office and guidance lady counselor she was in there and they was like she was like these two boys want to get off to go to some sports show or something like that and of course I I when if if anything like I may talk country as all get out but when it gets time to lay a presentation out I done figured out the facts and also <laughs> I had him plenty of information to look at it and so he sat there and he thought about it for a little bit and um he said you know he said uh I'm going to excuse these two boys. And he said, you never know when a young man might find a vocation in something like this. And I had already sold, at that time, I had already sold an article to Bowhunter Magazine. There was some backing a little bit in there, but nobody ever would have ever, ever, ever figured that my whole goal in life was to be involved in the hunting industry. You know, sure. uh, well, like and you it's said, been a blessing no and a curse. It, it's been a blessing and a curse. Everybody wants to do it, but there are there are times when you sit back and and you do wonder. You, you know, you like, why did I trifle with something that's so personal, unexperienced? You know, sure, because sure. Uh, I mean, real is real that's just the way it is and that's the way that we've always shown everything but back back once again I keep circling around and, and coming back to this traditional archery thing there was nobody to teach us and you know I remember when I, I met some really good bow hunters some of them had built their own tree stands that had little swivel seats on them and stuff like that and um they knew how to how to how to sharpen hand sharpen a broadhead they knew how to tune an arrow and it's so it's so amazing to me i'm fascinated by anything that you can do a few steps and end up with these great results it's kind of like muzzleloading you know, it, it it just amazes me that you can basically build this thing. I built my first muzzleloader myself when I was 15. Once again, I ordered all the parts and this and that and the other. And the first time I shot it, I got me an old tire because they done told me it was going, you know, everybody, my family and this and that and other. You got to understand, our farming left a little bit to leave, be desired sometimes when we farming. I mean, a wing and a prayer, was, <laughs> that's, that's putting it mildly. But uh, I took that old tire and I put it out there on the ground and then I took the muzzleloader I built and loaded it all up and then put the, the gun in the tire and it got me a cord. It got way back over there and pulled the trigger on it, make it go off. That was my pressure testing at all, and so once it went off, I was it didn't it didn't blow nothing. I was totally comfortable with it. Now, granted, that's probably not the way you should go about doing things all the time, but that's all we knew. There was nobody else. It was, 
there was no book there was no map there was nothing and that's the same like the first time i saw somebody paper tune a bow and you've um you you've mentioned or you mentioned i guess before we started talking um so you've you've actually been around some very well-known uh traditional bow hunters and uh, I'll let you. I'll let you go in and tell the, the the ones that we were talking about before we press record. But then I got another one that I want to ask you about because I had him on the show, and he's another one like you that you know was was in the, the hunting industry back in those days, and then just kind of uh, he decided he made a, a a personal decision to to completely get out of that 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 limelight hey, altogether. Man, I, I can tell you. I can tell you who who that is without you even saying his name right now i can just near about tell you just because i know what kind of person he is and who you um, thinking paul Brunner. yes sir and I, I same 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 situation as with you paul was one of those early guys that and there was others i mean don't get me wrong there was it was definitely uh the other two that we're I'm gonna let you talk about here in a minute but you know, it was it, it was those guys that were like you that were out there. You were having fun. You were learning, but at the same time, you were trying to you were trying to help people because, like you said, there wasn't. I don't think a lot of people don't realize. I I can remember the first whitetail I ever saw, and I sit there and stood. I couldn't figure out what it was because you just didn't have them. I mean, you know, when I was a, a kid growing up, I grew up in North Carolina. We just we didn't see deer. I remember the first deer track I ever saw, and was like, I didn't even know what it was, because they just they weren't that popular. And then you know the population exploded. But people like Paul, people like you, um, that's don't get me wrong. I learned a lot just by trial and error. I would say I learned eighty percent by trial and error. But a lot of what you guys were saying was just those those common sense um, tips, and sometimes I don't even know if you even knew it um uh that that people like me were picking up on because i didn't have i didn't have anybody to teach me i didn't have a mentor so it was either you know trial by fire or or when the the videos first started hitting the scene it was you know watch everything you can and just scour it for information so uh my hat's off to you guys but anyway i, I do want you to the, the the other gentleman and you've probably got more but uh you you started talking about that before we pressed record, so I'll let you get into those guys. I think you got a story there to tell too. <laughs> well, it, the, the uh, uh, I first met Gene at that whitetail show that the headmaster let me go to. And we're talking about Gene Wenzel. Yes, I'm sure everybody we're knows about that. Gene but... Yeah, I, I first I first met Gene Wenzel, and unbeknownst to him, I had already ordered his book. What struck me about his book that I always remember so much about is that he was always asking why through that book. And it was, um, you know, why does a deer rub on this side of a tree? Or why does this scrape exist this way? And at that time, there was nobody in the South even worried about nothing like that. You went deer hunting. There was deer, plenty of deer running around. You did this and that and other. But the the physical act of taking a big deer and trying to kill that one specific animal just it didn't exist and all. And um, so then they busted out with the videos where they were they were shooting them tires rolling down the hills 
if, if things had taken a different path, I'd have been a lot more traditionally oriented than I am now. You know, uh, one of my best friends up here, he shoots longbow. And uh, so I still got a chance. The Wenzel brothers, they came along. It was just a, it was really just a tiny handful of us. I really don't know Paul Bruner's background about it as far as like why he decided to lean towards the hunting business and all that um i don't know that part i just know him uh he had a, a really beautiful ranch that was outside of ovando montana that i've been to several different times and um he really cared a lot about the game the hunting and being as effective as he could be and providing people with the gear that was almost tailor-made to certain situations where you had to have something like that. The funniest thing I can tell about Gene is we ended up, I reckon we done, once the the, the initial deer show, the, the, that's where they introduced the first edition of North American Whitetail Magazine. Uh, I think they had the hole in the horn buck there, all that kind of stuff. But then all these other deer shows started showing up, and I worked for several different companies over the course of the next few years. You know, I worked for different call companies and just anything I could do to keep in the industry until I kind of landed on this video thing. Anyway, me and Gene, we've been somewhere and all, and we were walking along talking, and he reminded me of football coach you know because i was that much younger than he was and everything he throwed his arm up around me and he said i've been watching you at these shows and he said you missed your calling i said do what and he said yeah you missed your calling and he said this would have to be carefully scripted out and da 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 and he went off into his doctor end of things and <laughs> he said but this what needs to happen you need to walk onto an elevator in New York City. And then beside you needs to walk this Snoop Doggy Dog rap man. And y'all start up in the elevator and the power go out. <laughs> and he said, and I'm looking at him like I got this look on my face. You know, I'm really moldable by these young, by these older men right now. And I'm trying to find my niche. And if this has got something to do with hunting, I'm like, please tell me what it is. And he said, y'all need to talk about women. Y'all need to talk about life. Y'all need to talk about, he said, you got a favorite animal? I said, I'm partial to horses. He said, y'all need to talk about horses. Y'all need to talk about dogs. And he said, make it about 30 minutes long. And did let the power cut back on. And y'all go your separate ways. He said, it would be a bestseller. And I said, an audio tape? And he said, yep. And so. That's too funny. That's my, that's my, my big business tip of the week from gene Winslow, <laughs> and i hadn't done it yet but it's like everything else there's always a place they I, I i decided i was gonna write some fiction books so i wrote some fiction 
fiction books, and I wrote one about a crippled grizzly bear, wrote one about a Spanish Mustang colt, wrote one about a, a cougar. And uh, so the crippled grizzly bear was the first one, and it was supposed to be like Western action adventure, and uh, we were having a little bit of trouble selling it. Publisher called me, and he said, we're going to change the genre to romance. <laughs> And I said, what? <laughs> and he said, yeah. He said, we're going to release it under romance. And do you know it really picked up steam? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. That is too so funny. now, anytime anybody gives me, anybody, anytime anybody gives me any kind of grief, I say, look, I'm a romance author. <laughs> you know, I got it down just about good as, Doctor Phil, that is, and, uh, that is but, too uh, funny, too funny. No, I mean that if you could have just seen some of the stuff I've seen over the years, and uh, let me tell every bow hunter out there, the the number one thing that's gonna mess you up is some kind of new piece of gear that you strap on your body. I mean, I see that over and over and over and over and over and over again while I'm running the camera. Somebody will buy something new, and I'll be like, did, did, did you ever think, well, no, I just got this thing. And I'm like, did you ever think, like, maybe you ought to, we sitting up here waiting on like a 150-inch deer, you know. We only go get, get one crack. He ain't going to back up. It'll get in the way of their drawing. It'll get hung up on the string. It will do just about everything. So that was the other thing that I really liked about traditional archery and all. I was like the simplicity mode of the whole thing. I mean, it took all they could do to get me to quit shooting my fingers and uh, and get a release. I was afraid it was going to go off when I wasn't ready. I, I, I hate to I, I hate to tell even how I killed the first deer that I ever killed with a bow and arrow, but ain't many people heard this tale, but it's the, it's the truth. Of course, I had to have, I had Let's to have it, one man. of the, the quivers that had like 12 arrows, <laughs> you know, so I got the whole box of arrows with me. I had built me this tree stand. This is back when we still nailed two by fours into trees. And I built this tree stand way up in the top of this oak tree. And because one thing that, that I did figure out was the higher that you got, the easier it was to get drawn. So I got off school that day and um, I had an old van, a Dodge van. And it was a green Dodge van. You, it had to, where well, you could take the hood off inside the thing because sometimes when i had mud grips on the back of it sometimes when you <laughs> you are painting a heck of a picture when, here <laughs> when sometimes when you got in a bind you had to be able to self-adjust the carburetor down there <laughs> and so when it got hot i kept me sticking there and i'd be going somewhere and i need some more juice and so i'd get that stick and i'd jam that stick and then mud grips boy i throw mud I had like 35s on it. <laughs> it had a limited slip rear end. That van go about anywhere. But anyway, I got oh. off school, come down there. I'm going bow hunting that evening. The farm, I could have killed a deer in the backyard knowing what I know now. But 
and would have been legal and everything too. But anyway, I went down to the farm, so I got up there and I climbed up in that stand and I got all situated. It was kind of a pretty fall afternoon in Alabama. I mean, it was like cool, you know, kind of a cold front was pushing in or something. And the county road was about 200 yards away from the tree and then all right so it was like the county road and then a whole bunch of planted pines that were all growed up and everything and then a little finger of oaks that stuck out and i was sitting on the very point of that finger and then it was the neck of a soybean field in there and um i don't know how far across the neck it was I'm fixing to tell you how far across the neck it was. So anyway, I climbed up there, and I got all situated and comfortable and everything, and here I'm ready for this bow hunting afternoon, and there was a tractor come down the road, and it got about even with me in that tree, and it broke down, and there was two men out there, and they proceeded to start working on this tractor. And they'd get it to run and they'd holler at each other and then they'd get shut off and then they got to banging and this and that and the other. And I am having a fit. I'm like a little red wall up there. I'm like, here I am, done climbed up in the tree, done all set to go, gonna be the perfect evening. And they out there messing up my whole afternoon hunting. And, you know, I'm just about to have a fit. And all of a sudden, deer started showing up. And what they were doing, they were all bedded out there in them, in those planting pines. And as they walked out, they were having to cross that point right through there. And I shot, I shot at deer a little ways away from the tree. <laughs> I shot at deer beside the tree because the hill kind of come up a little bit. I shot a deer up under the tree. I shot every arrow that I had. <laughs> every last one of them. I shot at little deer, big deer, medium-sized deer, bucks, does. It didn't make no difference. And I was dying. I had one arrow left. Across the field, all these deer were blowing and everything. Of course, you can imagine they got the tractor on one side and they got me the, we got the apache war camp on the other and then on the other side so this deer she come out there to see what was going on there's no doubt in my mind or either she done lost her young and in the shuffle or something and so she walked out and i had one hour left to tell you the truth i don't know how far she was if i had to guess nowadays she was not close enough for me to be shooting at. Let me just put it like that. So anyway, I, I, she got big and broadside out there. And I never forget the sun was going down, so she was all lit up on that side that was facing me, and just kind of like gold rays through there. And I said, "This is it. This is the last air I got." I shot, and when I shot, she turned all the way around the other direction before the arrow got there. <laughs> like she was facing going out into the field. She turned around facing back, going back down towards the woods. 
and that arrow said blue it, it double longer but it was just like draw an X across the middle and stick it in the X because she wasn't facing I, I don't tell that to many people because ain't no telling how far that deer was I, I, about I think 50 yards probably I, it, yeah, the 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 first one I ever killed was all very similar, and it was probably yeah, about forty five yards. That was for uh, we didn't know what a range finder was. I didn't know nothing about sticking stakes up out in food plots. I didn't know nothing about making me a mark or anything. I I mean, you know, and to tell you the truth, you did practice at forty yards a lot of times. Yeah, that was sure. common. I, I, I and I, I guess I should have told you this, this Jim. I, I don't know if we even talked about it, but uh, my story is it, it, very similar. I mean, I, I started out hunting with uh, a Darton SL50 compound. That's what my my dad gave me. He wasn't he wasn't a hunter. Um, so you know, it, it all everything you're saying is relative. It it, I, I can actually I'm sitting here just picturing it in my head it could have it could have very easily have been a similar situation for me uh i was lucky i only had one to shoot at i got real lucky with that shot but it it was it was much further than i should have been shooting especially for equipment of that time well it it just i mean it it just goes to show you i mean there's some young kids nowadays that they'll stack them in there at 60 yards you know and but I'm just saying in, in a given hunting situation, 60 yards is too far to be shooting at anything, in my, it doesn't, in my it, opinion. It, I agree. It doesn't matter if you can stack those arrows in. I mean, there's there's just too many other variables, the main one being how quickly a, a whitetail can, yeah, can move. And, and the thing about it is, I mean, what I don't know. You've just it, – it, it all goes back to – to my feeling of the sport you know the way where i live now we're not as loud we're not allowed as many turkeys as in other places i guided in texas for years and of course you allowed forward air and everything you just you know it so it's a lot more about the experience and everything like that and i actually hunt turkeys now with a little old 20 gauge youth model shotgun it it's pattern pretty well gives out about 25 28 yards somewhere in there i mean it'll kill one a lot further than that but it's not about that anymore to me i just if i'm gonna go to all the trouble of doing it and all i want them to come on and get up in there and all. you want to up up close and personal yeah it's same as and that goes in back to the once again the thing about the traditional archery that always kind of drew me and of course i read stories you know by like asbel and just all these people you know i mean i just studied bowhunter magazine trying to learn anything i could learn the biggest things that i, I learned from most of, of my mentors or however you want to say it is is that you have to make sure your broadhead's sharp and the second thing is you have to put it in the box and if you can do those two things you know it, it, it a lot of times you know bow hunting 
comes down to what you do after the shot, what you witness during the shot, how you go about recovering the animal. I mean, you know, and, and Hank said a mouthful when he said, I shoot them right there and I put them in the truck 98% of the time. You just don't have any trouble. Right. You right. know, and all. So it's. Well. There's no time like the present, man. We need to we need to get you shooting a longbow or recurve and, and I, build that build that confidence up. I, I really I've got a shoulder I got a shoulder problem and uh, comes a lot with age. It it also comes with toting my camera weighed thirty two pounds and I ran around with that thing up and down i got into where i was shooting a lot of sheep and goat stuff and um was pretty well one of the few people that had the knowledge of the backcountry and the ability to put it all together and i kind of got to be like a go-to guy to go shoot that kind of stuff and you know having that camera balanced on your shoulder uh it didn't help mine out but i had some other old stuff and I had I had always read that you could shoot like a longbow or a recurve and you wouldn't have to have you know it, it was better on your shoulder because you were you were just coming to a release point and then releasing does that make any sense it does it does and a lot of people shoot that way I'm, I'm I can I typically am more of a deliberate uh, hold that anchor focus on what I want to hit and release but a lot of people do snap shoot. A, a lot of people do. Well, I don't know if it's like snap shooting. Uh, it's more like just by instinct. You just visualize the air going through the deer and just sure. come to a draw and then turn it loose. And uh, it's almost like it plays out in your mind. And so I actually bought me a, um, a recurve. Man, those turkeys outside your house are are, are yeah they are they excited. having a time. We uh <laughs> we got we got kind of a unique situation right here where I live. Is they they all tend to congregate in my yard, and uh, I had somebody ask me the other day, "How did you learn to yelp like that?" I learned to yelp like that by listening to them yelp. Plus, it's like about everything else I do. I, there's no wrong in my book. I mean, if I hit a, a bad note, I ain't worried about it. I won't hit a better one next time. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, I actually ordered me a, a recurve. The guy that I bought it from, I, of course, I bought it off eBay. And the guy that I bought it from, he didn't have the draw length right on it. So I gave it to that friend of mine up here. I gave it to his uh grandson and all but it was a nice recurve I, I want something like that like for some reason in in the back of my mind i'm always stuck on like a maybe it's just a name the blackwood or takedown or something you know mm -hmm. I, I don't know it's gonna be gary wants me to shoot a longbow because you can shoot them any kind of way of course i knew byron real well ferguson and I've watched him mm -hmm. shoot when he was still doing all his, and he still may be doing it. I don't know, but when he was doing all his shooting, and um, you know, he pretty well explained the ins and outs of, you know, 
why long bows are so versatile and that's the way Gary right. is I mean but now you talking about a man Gary Gary's like one of my best friends up here and all that kind of stuff and um he's taught me a tremendous amount about the critters and, and all that live here and he was the predator control man for a lot of years up here and so he was a wealth of knowledge to begin with but when he first decided to kill a cougar he just found him a cougar track in the snow and walked him down so he's kind of a different breed of character than what they cut anymore you know uh ain't many people take off and just take a cougar track and walk him till they follow him and he followed him until he made a kill and then when he made a kill the cougar bayed up down in them they they like to get in slash piles and stuff and bed down i didn't realize that about cougars and so anyway he didn't have no dog or nothing he just run up on the slash pile the cougar run up a tree and he shot him with his longbow that's kind of a that's kind of an interesting tale but uh, pretty impressive yeah he's just a he's just one of them kind of men one well, other Jim, thing we're, I we're, wanted, we're, huh? we're, yes sir go ahead go ahead no one other thing i want to tell you this is this is everybody gets a big kick out of this me and a good friend of mine uh we started out with this deer hunting video project up in kentucky and that was like the first place that we really got together trying to figure out how to do this and course at that time everybody was holding the camera in their laps they were trying to hold the camera between their legs and then picking it up and putting it on their shoulder when something showed up and so we got together and first we started trying to anchor to the tree stand and we came up with several different variations of that and none of that seemed to work and all because you would get the vibration off the tree stand and it would affect the the video image you know and so keith he come up with the idea and i'm not going to tell his last name because he wouldn't want me to tell his last name but keith he come up with the idea that we needed to anchor to the tree and that made sense we set about trying to build this system that would anchor off to the tree and the first thing that we came up with um, had chain binders on it and chains and a plate that had spikes and then a pipe essentially we ended up building a dentist chair arm but we used all heavy stuff like galvanized pipe and stuff mm -hmm. as soon as we got that thing we realized that we was on to something then and so the very first camera arm that was ever built by anybody anywhere was assembled in a in a muffler shop in tuskegee alabama <laughs> that's pretty cool and now they're and now everybody's making them it gets bigger than that so we we took it <laughs> excuse me and we took it and we kind of fine-tuned it and we figured out that we needed an adjustment to go side to side in case the tree was not straight up and down and then we needed an adjustment to adjust in and out 
so that we were able to level up the camera in relation to the, to the ground, to a level. But that's a far cry from what we started with in, with the muffler pipe. With the muffler pipe, we carried old lithium grease, and we'd actually grease the thing with lithium grease, keep it from making noise and sticking and everything like that. And uh, that's what we shot wild and true with. Well, as soon as we released Wild and True, everybody wanted to know where we got them. And we wouldn't tell nobody. And so for about two years to three years, we jumped the scoop on everybody in the ability that we had to record the stable video on, because I was convinced we could record heavily hunted white-tailed deer with a video camera you know I did I, I said there's got to be a way and so we took that camera arm well anyway me and Keith we were standing around the back of the truck one day and he was part of a team that built a housing for an outboard motor where you can't hear the outboard motor run and so I'll leave that where that is too but long story short uh we were looking at each other, and he said, you reckon we ought to patent this thing? And I said, who in the world ever going to be filming white-tailed deer? <laughs> and so it went from that, and then Tommy Mabin over there in South Carolina got hold to it. He was a gunsmith and machinist over there, and he started building them, and I don't know how many they've sold. And then ever since then, there's been variations that, have come out and all that but I do know for a fact and I'll defend that against anybody any place anytime that we built the very first camera arm that was ever built was assembled by man in a muffler shop in Tuskegee Alabama and it's amazing that it's turned into the industry you know that it that it has that's that's pretty cool stuff I know we're uh we're we're running along on time here, Jim, and there's a there is a couple of things I I did want to make sure I get to. Okay. So the the first one I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit. We didn't we didn't talk about this before we press record. So, but um, a, a guy that that follows the podcast and and I've gotten to know him through Facebook. I I've never met him personally, but I think he actually reached out to you by phone and and chatted with you a couple of weeks ago about the same time you and I were talking about getting this this recording scheduled. Uh, Jordan Barnes and he said if I didn't do anything else while I had you on to to, to see if you had a, a a good turkey hunting story from from back in the day that you could say that you could share with us maybe it's you know something that was was either on film or never made it to film but you got anything like that direct related to turkey hunting oh that, there's been so many of them <laughs> <laughs> the best turkey hunting story I could tell this and I I really I really don't know how to do this without telling his name of course he was pretty good sport about it and I don't think I mean I don't think he'd be too upset if I told about it we was turkey hunting one time and we hunted a lot of the buffalo bills the, the ball players 
Mm-hmm. And so I got paired up with this one particular bill that evening, and we went out there, and we was hunting on a, a really nice ranch in Texas, and, and so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't too long that we were into something. And so out there, the biggest problem we had was uh, hogwire fences because the turkeys would come to the hogwire and then they wouldn't cross it. But we were set up perfect and we were in this corner and there was this sendero that went directly straight out in front of us and another one went to the left. We were in the corner of the of the pasture, so to speak. And so we were sitting there and the turkeys were kind of gobbling off in the distance and all. And I'm usually pretty good about getting one to cut out and, and bite. And so all of a sudden I had one that I knew was going to come. And so I, I go on to tell you who it was. Name's Jim Kelly. And so I was sitting there and I usually try to sit up um, a little bit off to the right of my shooter. And I'll, cause the camera is basically a white, a right handed weapon. You know, you can go a long ways one way, but if you go the other way, you can't see through the viewfinder. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I'm sitting there and all oh, the boy, everything's going this and that and the other. And, Jim's all ready, and we all sitting there, and about two hills up in front of us, I see his fan coming. So he's about, I don't know, 150 yards or something like that, but I can see his fan, you know, coming over that brink of that hill. And um, this goes on, and he just comes on, and the turkey is just on a string. Like, he's just coming. I mean, that's just all there is to it. Anytime I called, I wasn't doing nothing but slowing him down and all that. So I just shut up and just let him keep on coming to that corner. And so he got out there about 35 yards or something like that. And Jim said, you ready? And I said, yeah, I'm ready. Usually I say any time. And then that means that any time, unless you hear from me again, I'm everything's a go and so he said you ready I said anytime he pulled the trigger and nothing happened gun said click and that old turkey I'll never forget because I was looking at the turkey that turkey dropped his strut a little bit and, and just run his head up but he wasn't spooked he just knew something wasn't right and he was just like did I really hear a click over in there <laughs> and of course me I probably said uh, uh, you know in, in mixed company I have been known to cuss on occasion <laughs> and so I probably said something I was, it probably went something to the tune of something hold on I said when I cut at him jack your shell in that and then aim at him and kill him he said okay I said, you ready? He said, yeah. And so I started out just kind of soft, yep. I didn't want to jump the turkey that hard after he'd just done been kind of scared. Just He wasn't scared. He just didn't know what was going on. 
So anyway, sure. it all happened just like real fast. You know, I'd say, I, I just said, meow, meow, and then cut at him real hard, and the turkey gobbled. Jim got jacked the gun and all that. And I said, kill him. Click. <laughs> I ain't got no gun. I don't, I've got a camera. He said, there ain't no shells in the gun. <laughs> I lost it. I mean, I did lose it. Now, I really, really, really lost it. I was like, the tune of whatever I said that time was highly picked up. It was like motivational football speaking speak. Sure. I'm like, I said, so hang on. Hang on. He said, what? I said, hang on. I'm going to throw you a shell. <laughs> and I always, from guiding, I carry, this is because I got it. I've got it for like 10, 15 years in the spring. And so I always carry extra head net, and I always carry extra pair of gloves, and I always have got shells. And so I reached down, and that camera just rolling away. I mean, it's locked down. It's just sitting there. The turkey's still sitting there. I got the shell. It, I'm, I can tell you exactly where they are in my vest. They, they're always on my right hand, right under loops, right where they always are. Right. These turkeys here having fun. And um, so anyway, I got a shell, and I said, you ready? He said, yeah. He said, what am I supposed to do? I said, load the damn. I said, load the gun. <laughs> I said, I'll make him gobble. He said, okay. And so I pitched a shell over there, and it hit just right by his leg, you know. And um, Now, a little bit to our defense is, like, you could actually, we were in some kind of, I don't know if they were, like, they're not, uh, I don't know what kind of bushes they are, but they were like up to your, like sitting down, they were up to your elbow. Mm -hmm. And so he, he reached down there and he got his shell. He said, how am I going to load it? I said, I'm going to make him gobble. Take your time, open the gun, drop the shell in the chamber, and shut the gun. And then shoot him. <laughs> he said, okay. And so he had the shell in his hand on and I said you ready he said yeah I'm ready and I said alright so I when I got him that time I didn't let off of him you know I had him gobbling and of course he'd be in a Rio they'll just do they'll just just as much as you got breath and all that and so I had to make him I, I didn't have to make him. I had to quit calling him so he'd get still enough for him to kill him. And so anyway, he put the shell in the gun, shucked it down, down, put the gun up. I, I quit calling. He shot the turkey. And all. so we go back to the camp, and uh, I wasn't going to tell on him because that's, that's the big moral of the story is what goes on in the turkey woods, I don't say nothing stays about. stays in the turkey I wasn't going to say nothing. I mean, how you going to do it? I mean, this man done been to the Super Bowl. If there ever was a boy <laughs> icon of mine, you know, I mean, I played college football, but I didn't, I, I was always ran too long in the same place to play 
pros or anything. But uh, so we go back in there and they like, oh yeah, how'd y'all do this and that and other? The big problem is they all want to see the video. And I said, I don't know how you going to handle this. And all and so I went walking on through there and they said, well, tell us what happened, this and that and other and everything like that. And all I said, Jim, I tell you, to his credit, he told it exactly the way it went down. There's been funnier stories, I'm sure, but that one... I, I, and that, I'm sure I, I, I dropped that one on you without prepping you for it, so my apologies. That one, I, I really don't think... Do you know why I don't think of funny stories that much? Is That is one... That's one time period that I'm totally in my zone. Mm-hmm. And something that may be hilarious to somebody is really not funny to me at all. In, in other words, it'll be hilarious. And you'll be cussing. And I'll be madder. <laughs> I maybe just be mad at myself because I knew a lot of times it'll be something that I knew that I needed to have done that I couldn't have done sure, sure. with the people I had and the camera and stuff in other words there always comes a point like when when an animal is coming to a call be it an elk or a turkey that you've got to make one more move and you've got to go I mean you've got to go like right then sure and it, it gets and so I get aggravated more than anything but there has been more more than more funny stuff it's this happened um sure sure but if i think of something else i call and put an addendum on this well shoot man we'll we'll get you back on here again I've, uh, this has been a lot of fun and i i do we you know we're we're uh i've already kept you a lot uh, a good 20 minutes longer than i told you i would so i do want to kind of kind of wrap this one up you know when i when i do wrap up though hang on the hang on the phone with me for a little bit because i got a, a few things i need to cover with you and we might talk about getting you back on sometime in the future then but i did want to mention to everybody so we've talked a lot about these videos um and for definitely for the people that have that that have heard of you and, and know who you are and even for the for the people that are listening to this show that that had not heard from you before I was extremely excited, so excited that when I found out, I actually ordered one, and I've already got one, and I, I watched about ninety percent of it last night. But you're actually putting these, uh, bringing these old videos that you did back in the day, and making them available on on Amazon. So I want to make sure everybody knows that, and I can't wait till as soon as I see Powder and Ball Whitetails, I will be getting one of those in the mail. Um, but you're putting them on Amazon and I know we went through this the other day, Jim, what's the best way for people to actually find them if they're, if they do a search on Amazon, is it, is it searching your Jim neighbors and then wild in true? So W I L D space in space true. It's, it's actually better if you put wild, the letter N and then the word true and then put Jim neighbors. And that's N-A-B-O-R-S. N-A-B-O-R-S. Wild and True Gym Neighbors. But there's a lot of stuff on there. And, you know, I have people that uh, will say, well, I can't find it. And if you dig around and, and shuffle Wild and True and Gym Neighbors around in there, uh, 
um, you know, it pops up. The other thing that I saw the other day is um, just by Googling the same thing, um, the videos popped up just under Google. And that, that um, doesn't surprise me. Tagged, Google's probably just got a better search engine. <laughs> tagged, you know, tagged under the Amazon. But they're all available through Amazon. And like I said, we we essentially did 83 of those things. And um, I'm not going to try to do them all. Some of them were, were some of the footage was recut and everything. But I'm going to take, you know, 30 of um, the best ones and plan to try to have them out just as soon as I can have them out but I'm a one man show when it comes to that in other words uh, I'm doing it uh, kind of by myself but they are you know digitally remastered and all that which kind of helps them a little bit and um, it's just a process but I just didn't want the footage to disappear because there is some really interesting stuff that happened to us over the years, you know. Well, and I, I got the, um, so the one that I ordered the other day, and you may have actually already seen this. I don't know how Amazon works on the back end, but I got the uh, bow, hunting, uh, bow hunting bus blunders and something. I don't remember exactly what it was, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, it's funny. I was watching that, and, and, and then I'll wrap this thing up, but I was watching it yesterday, and we were talking about how, um, you know, we've, 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 all of us that, that started doing this when a lot of us started doing the, the whitetail hunting when it, you know, before the video scene, before there was the internet, and we had to, you know, we had to learn as we as we went along. And some of the footage in this videos, I, I mean, I'm guessing it's, it's, you know, 90s at best, may even be some 80s in there, I don't know, but definitely, you know, mid, early to mid-90s. And there was one, and I don't even remember if it was if it was you that was manning the bow or if it was one of the other guys in the footage, but... There's this little buck out there, and it's, I want to say it may have been a, a spike, I, a little 4.4 corn, doesn't matter. But when that, I, I can't remember if it was some noise made in the stand, but that, that no, it wasn't. That deer was feeding, and immediately I it, it caught your scent, whether it was where, you know, you guys had walked in or maybe the wind shifted. But you could tell that deer got a whiff of human. And you could see him go on alert. And I was sitting there watching it thinking, you know, if I had seen this 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when I wouldn't have ever picked up on those, those body, the body language and the cues and all that stuff. But I just said, this is going to be a blunder. That deer is going to jump the string just as soon as that bow goes off. And sure enough, that the, you heard the bow release and that deer just dropped to the ground and the arrow went right over its, mm-hmm. right over, kind of over its shoulder. And it was just funny to watch because it's it's one of those things that you know again back in back in the 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 nineties or you know even the late nineties I just I don't think I would have ever picked up on that the subtleties of of what was going on with that deer he knew you were there at that point so it's just kind of cool to go back and watch some of this stuff it, I've really enjoyed this one and again I'll be I'll be picking up others in the future well we sure appreciate it and we we. I've always met with with just tremendous support from the videos and to tell you the truth I think the key 
and all of it lied in the fact that it was a group of guys that were my good friends that all wanted to do the same thing. They they were helping me out. It's just like I'd go help, you know, I'd, little Fred Law, we call him the midget. I'd, I'd go... I'd go help him move his cows and he'd have a stand hung and, you know, we'd hunt on him with the video camera. And it, it was just a group of us that just really enjoyed what we was doing. And a lot of that came through. And it was not uh, as commercial as a lot of people make it. And there was actually a lot of times that we were asked to represent or deal with something and I said I'm not gonna do it I, you know my favorite saying that you couldn't kill a deal with that if he was living in a paper sack <laughs> you know I, I mean it, it just uh, and we helped a lot of manufacturers change some of their their products and stuff like that but if you saw it on one of them tapes you know a lot of times it was something that sure enough worked now because we didn't, it was serious business to us, and there was no backup, you know. The, right, you couldn't right. mash rewind and say, let's try this one more time and all that. So um, I was just real fortunate to be involved all the way through that, and I hope sure. we can pass that along to some of the younger hunters that's coming out there, you know, because <laughs> I used to have a lot of the moms. A lot of the moms come up there to me and they'd be like, boy, we love those Wild Venture tapes. And uh, me and Preston, we'd always be joking they want to be looking at us. And, <laughs> you know, he played football for the University of Alabama went on to become a Steeler. So, I mean, he, let's just yeah. say we ain't the most vain person in the world. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway... We'd, we'd all be grinning like that. And she'd say, when one of those deer shows up on the screen, my little kids would just watch it all the way through. And uh, they were watching the wildlife on the screen. Right, right. And also, that's why a lot of the original ones were so slow uh, in pace because that's what people were asking for at the time. And then you go and you watch a slower pace one versus the world of TV nowadays. And they are slow paced, but I just tell everybody to bear with it. There'll be something happening in just a minute. Yeah, but that's, that's hunting. That's part of the reason I think, you know, so especially, you know, guys like me in the, in the traditional community, just, don't care much about it because it's there's so much of the hunt that gets lost in the in the pursuit for instant gratification and it 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 just turns me off and it does a lot of a lot of the guys like me when so. i first got started in this and all that everybody told me i was gonna have a tremendous amount of uh trouble with my dialect or my accent you know and um Trust me, it's been a blessing or a curse all my life, depending on how you want sure. to look at it, and both at different times. But uh, it's like I always told everybody, this is just the way I talk. 
in other words, I, I talk like this every day. Been talking like this since I was a baby, you know. And I think it it really ended up on when it's it was on video. Once we worked a little bit to clean it up a little bit, just so that the uh, the words were understandable, you know. Um, it served as a walking trademark, you know, because. I can't tell you how many times I've been somewhere and open my mouth and somebody just spin around automatically and they just say, that's that, that's that man that made them hunting videos. That's cool. That is very cool. You know, so anyway, we just, well, Jim, we I, just went hunting. That's all we did. I sure appreciate you having me on. And man, it's been, it's been, it's been my pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. And, and like, I, I'm, I'm serious. We'll have to, we'll have to do this again. We'll just, we'll figure out a, we'll figure out a topic and we'll, now that you, now that you know, we can do this easily. We'll, we'll do this again sometime real soon. Okay. And I tell you what else I will do. I will, um, I will actually go out and find, I'll do a, a, a Google search and some Amazon searches and find the one that, that, that does the best as far as returns and I will include a link to that search in the show notes for this episode when it goes live. So uh, hopefully we can help some people find what you're doing. Because I'm, like I said, I'm tickled to death to see them out there. And I already know some other people that I've talked about, you know, that you were going to be on the show that that they are as well. But I, you know what? I really, really do appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. And like I said, I I, I really appreciate anything I can do and. And if you ever in in my part of the country and just want to come by and say hello, we always got some coffee on or something, and we definitely know how to cook something to eat. So uh, you're welcome at any time. I will if I'm ever out that way. I will I will definitely take you up on that. Okay. For everybody else, thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have, and we'll be back with another one next week. Take care, all. <laughs>